Good morning, everybody. It is good to be worshiping with you this morning. Welcome to Hope. Uh, I'm Jeff Bills, lead pastor here at Hope, joined by Pastor Rick Court. And uh, we're excited about the uh, series that we're in. Uh, just before we kind of get into the message, wanted to say a little bit about this initiative that we've been talking about, the Hope Outside. So really, it's just about the fact that this summer, we're, as a congregation, we're going to be serving our communities in lots of ways um, just to bless them. And so there'll be things uh, throughout the summer, it begins uh, at the end of June, there'll be things that we'll be doing um, collectively. So we'll say, for example, hey, this week, bring some goodies to your local fire department. So whatever town you're in, whatever community in, you're in, you'll be bringing some goodies over. And uh, in some cases, we'll just overwhelm <laughs> the firefighters and police and so forth. So those are kinds of things we'll do together. But then there's this other part that we're calling the Hope Outside Challenge, where we're inviting you, encouraging you, challenging you, as an individual or a family, to come up with some creative ways that you're going to bless people around you over the course of the week. And uh, we want you to videotape yourself doing it and, uh, and put out the challenge. So for example, somebody suggested we could TP somebody's house. Not the way you would do it at uh, mischief night, but literally drop off a couple of rolls of toilet paper and videotape yourself dropping it off at their front stoop and saying, this is what I did, uh, hope I challenge you to beat that, you know, and we'll, uh, have, we'll, you'll send us that videotape and we'll be showing those throughout the summer. It's going to be uh, great fun as well as a great blessing to folks. We want to do this together, and so we want everybody to have something in common, so we thought it would be neat to have a t-shirt. So the logo that we have created for Hope Outside will be on a t-shirt, and uh, we are wanting everybody to get a t-shirt. So starting today, we're selling t-shirts. You can go on our website. You can take a picture of the screen with the uh, information uh, to go to our website. The t-shirts uh, cost eight bucks, so it's eight dollars for an adult t-shirt, six bucks for a child t-shirt, and um, so, you know, you can order a t-shirt. Here's the thing, if you can't afford a t-shirt right now, we understand that, we get that, order a t-shirt. Don't worry about paying for it, it's yours. If, however, you're able to afford one, and maybe a little bit more, there's a place where you can give a little extra to help offset the cost for folks who, at this time, can't afford a t-shirt. This may be your first act of kindness in Hope Outside. So I'm excited about this initiative, and uh, you know, given the week we've had, given what's going on in our world today, God knows we could all use a little more kindness. Yeah, it's been a week, hasn't it? Oh my um, gosh. I want to thank Pastor Steve for his prayer because that really spoke to my heart. Uh, and it, 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 there's almost not the words to describe what we're experiencing. I mean, our world is tired. Uh, we're afraid. We're fragile. We're angry. Uh, the world is hostile. The world is divided, right? I mean, our cities are literally on fire yeah. uh, and, and figuratively as well. And, and as we've been preparing this series, uh, you know, it's in the wake of a man who's uh, murdered while jogging. And um, 
Uh, and, and in the midst of a virus that's in fact infecting the whole world. And, and then more recently, there's a white woman who is caught on video threatening a black man in a park. And she's attempting to weaponize the police via racial profiling. And, the, and then if that doesn't hurt enough, now there's the George Floyd murder and video and the protests across our country. I mean, our world is broken. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's broken. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's what I keep reminding myself. I'm like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and, and the world is angry and we should be angry and, and because we believe it needs to change. Um, and as Christians and as the church, we need to get this right. Uh, we just need to get this right. Um, this week, uh, our bishop of the of uh, New Jersey's uh, of the United Methodist Church in New Jersey sent out an email to uh, to uh, the pastors and leaders in the church, and and uh, we agree with uh, his his uh, full response. But I wanted to read to you just uh, two sentences that he said, and because it, it spoke to me. Each of us has a moral. <laughs> I practice this has a moral <laughs> obligation to be angered. And, de- and denounce prejudice, racism, and privilege when we encounter it. He goes on to say, I call all United Methodists to pray, work for, and model acceptance and inclusion and equality in our church and in our homes and in our jobs and in our communities and in our schools. And I would say when we do that, we will have gotten it right. Amen. Amen. The things that break the heart of God should break our heart. And I don't know, you know, if it brings any level of consolation, but the reality is the world in which Jesus lived in the first century was a world that had similar kinds of brokenness. Mm. It was a world that was dominated by the superpower of their day, the Roman Empire. And it was an oppressive uh, government. It was an oppressive system. And it was, everything came under Rome. It was Roman occupation, Roman taxation, Roman oppression. And they put up with no kind of dissent. If there was the slightest hint of dissent, it was dealt with immediately and brutally, to put it down. That was the world in which Jesus existed. And they, the Rome had occupied uh, the ancient land of Israel and was um, not, the Romans were not fans of uh, the Jewish people. And so there was oppression on the Jewish people. And then within Judaism, there was levels of oppression. There was a hierarchy. And at the at the heart of it was this idea that there are people who are better than other people. The highest among them was a group called the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were revered because of their strict adherence to the law. And they were the interpreters of the law as well. And they often interpreted the law in some of the most oppressive and often self-serving mm. kinds of ways. And so they had this um, oppression going on even within this subculture within the world in which Jesus lived. 
And there was a theology that had grown up around um, uh, the Jewish faith that said that if you are hurting in any way, if you are handicapped, if you are poor, if you are childless, it's because God is angry at you or your family, and so God has inflicted this pain onto you. Can you imagine going through life with uh, this kind of brokenness and being told it's because God is unhappy with you? So it was into this melu. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I just said the word melu. Um, Good for you. Uh, you know, I don't know what it means. Into this mess. Into this mess, Jesus came with a radically different message, a better message, a better way of doing life, a different interpretation of the law is what Jesus brought into the world. Yeah, and if you're, uh, it's called Jesus's, uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus's Manifest. Sermon, or it's also called the Manifesto, uh, I've called it the Manifesto for Life, and yeah. that Jesus is offering this new way to live, and, and really we want to encourage you, if you haven't read it before, it's three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it likely isn't one sermon that Jesus preached, it's likely several sermons or, or teachings that were compiled together by Matthew, but it is terrific to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's this radically different way, and uh, we're going to read just a few verses from that. I want to read first from Matthew chapter 5, uh, it's verse 17 and 18, and it says this, Jesus is talking, and it says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. I love that. So Jesus came, he says, not to abolish the law, but to accomplish, accomplish its purpose. So what is the purpose of the law? What was the purpose of the law? If you go down and, uh, to the very beginnings of the law, the Ten Commandments, we get a glimpse of it. So the Ten Commandments look at two relationships, how we relate to God, how we relate to others. And so within the Ten Commandments, the way that we're to relate to others is... Um, kind of a respect. We're respecting people's property. We're respecting people's um, character, their marriages. Children are respecting their parents. It's, it's based on respect. And with, our, with regard to our relationship to God, it's how we revere God. We mm -hmm. revere his name. We revere um, what God calls us to do. And so the law is pointing us in the direction of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is anywhere where God's will and God's way prevails. And so these laws were designed, the law was intended to direct us toward the kingdom of God, that we would be living a kingdom of God life. And really, as you get into the essence of the law, and Jesus defined this for us, he said it really comes down, the whole law and all of the prophets come down to these two basic commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law of love. Mm. We're called to love one another. 
And he spoke a lot, Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom. He either called it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And Scott McKnight, who uh, is one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book called One Life. And in it, he describes this world of the kingdom. And, <clears throat> and he calls it that it's this not now, but not yet world. It's a now, but not yet world. And, and, and what he talks about is that we get to see glimpses of God's kingdom now in our broken world. But it's now, it's not yet. Um, that the kingdom of God is both partially realized here and now, and the kingdom is not yet fully realized yet. So it's a now but not yet world. And, and uh, as we were talking about that, yeah. we kind of thought of this great illustration. Yeah, it reminds us of marriage, right? Um, <laughs> now so, but not yet. <laughs> kind of. So when were you and Kelly married? August 18th, 1990. 19, oh, that's right. So you're coming up on the big 3-0. Big 3-0, yes. Uh -huh. Wow. I wonder what that's like. Um, During COVID season, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the date? August 18th. August 18th. So on August 18th, 1990, mm -hmm. you were married. Absolutely. You have, in all those almost 30 years, you've never been more married than <laughs> you were on that day, right? Exactly. You, yes. That's the now part of marriage, mm -hmm. right? So... You've had to learn a few things in marriage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still learning. Yes. Yeah. Kelly has been teaching you. Marilyn's been teaching me. Mm -hmm. um, they had a lot of work to do. Um, so, and that work continues. And seriously, you know, all of us in marriage, both husband and wife, are enter into this process of learning what it means to live into these vows Absolutely. that we make. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of not yet. So we are fully married now, mm -hmm. but we are becoming married as we grow in our understanding of that relationship. Yeah, I even find it interesting how the, the word married, when we say we're married, it's past tense, mm -hmm. but yet it's an ongoing effort, right? It's, uh, it's always ongoing. So, we're, so it's now, we're married, but it's not yet. There's still more and better and fully realized marriage yet to come. Right. So, so Scott McKnight is talking about this idea. He says, we live in this world of now but not yet. And so the idea is that in the future kingdom of God, there'll be no need to protest because there will be no more anger. The kingdom of God will be just. The kingdom of God will be fair and equal and it will, we will be united. And, and words like grace and love and peace will describe God's kingdom and does describe God's kingdom. But the world that we live in now, this is not the kingdom of heaven. When men are shot while they're jogging through a neighborhood, that is not the kingdom of heaven. When one man can place his knee on another man's neck until he stops breathing, that is not the kingdom. That's our broken, broken world. But when we, as the church, can live reconciled lives, we can bring the kingdom of heaven closer so that we can catch a glimpse of what heaven looks like. We can say, now it's here, but not yet. There's more to come. Uh, Scott McKnight says this. It's up on the screen. Nothing expresses kingdom realities more than reconciled relations. In other words, when we can live out justice, when we can live out fairness, when we can live out equality and unity and grace and love and peace, when the church is at its best, when mm. the church community is living its best life, yeah. we are living in the kingdom and it is attractive to others, so attractive that we can point and say, this is it. This is what the kingdom can look like. This is now. It's here. It's here and near. It's not yet. 
but we believe this world through Jesus can be fixed, that the kingdom of God is possible here and now. That's why uh, Steve's prayer was so meaningful to me because he said, God, God, let your kingdom come. I mean, now, here, we want it. In all of this brokenness, we still believe the kingdom of heaven is possible. And I know that sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds too good to be true, especially this week, especially the weeks going ahead. It's gonna seem like a fairy tale. But we are people of faith, and we are people who have faith in God. And there is evidence of this now but not yet faith throughout our history. Uh, During the 1700s in England, cities were dirty and cities were overcrowded. And the rich, a very small minority, were living these lavish lives while the poor were overcrowded and suffering greatly. And John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was preaching in the fields and preaching in coal mines and was inviting people to this new life in Christ. And there was this great spiritual awakening that was taking place. And as people's lives were changed, the world began to change as well. As a matter of fact, under Wesley's direction, Methodists became leaders in many areas of social justice. I just as soon as lives, as lives were being changed, the world was being changed, including things like prison reform and recovery programs for alcoholics. Child labor laws were brought into place because of Christians who were making a difference in their world, and even the abolition of the slave trade in England. That's our Methodist history. That's uh, now but not yet kind of faith that we live in this world that we can see glimpses of heaven now, even in the brokenness. So John Wesley said this, and, and then I'll be done on my John Wesley uh, 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 soapbox here. Uh, John Wesley said, it is because of God's love for us and Christ's love that we reach out into the world to walk with others and to accompany them in their journeys. He said, because social holiness is unique to us, it means that we must be in this together. We live our lives together, and we live our lives with all of God's creation. We walk with one another. We walk with those who are poor, those who are vulnerable, and those who live on the margins of life. And then Jesus said it this way, It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. See what Jesus did? In reinterpreting the law, He's saying we need to pay attention not just to the vertical, not just to our relationship with God, but how our relationship to God calls us into relationship with others. And so this is a radical statement. Here is this guy who is in the temple, the holy place. He's bringing his sacrifice, acknowledging to God his sinfulness and his desire to be in a right relationship with God. And so he's doing this act, he's performing this rite of, uh, this religious rite to show God his love. And Jesus says, stop, before you do that, you've got this broken relationship with a brother. Go and be reconciled there, then come back and express your love and devotion to God. 
They're tied together. They're, they're inextricably tied together um, in a powerful kind of way. We need to love each other. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus said this to his disciples. The world will know that you're mine by the way that you love one another. Not by the number of Bible studies you go to, not by the number of worship services you attend, not by the number of verses you've memorized. The way that the world will know that you belong to me is the way that you love others. And so we're called to this life. The law calls us to this life. Jesus calls us to this life, this radically different life defined by love, mm. not just by what we say, mm. but by what we do, how we live in to this, this life that we're called to uh, live out. So as you're watching the news this week and as you're shaking your head in, in disbelief and maybe throwing up your hands and saying, what can I do? What can one person do? You know, systems have to change, of course, and laws are going to have to change, and, and training, and all of those practical things. But really, at the heart, if we're going to make real change in race relationships in this country, in the ways that we treat one another, in the ways that we think about one another, we have to answer this question every day. What does love require of me? What does love require of me and then to do that thing so it's it's been a tough week but God is still in control the kingdom of God is real it's here and it's coming and we need to live into that so I pray that as you go through this week that 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 question will be echoing in your heart Lord what does love require of me. Let's pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, how grateful we are that you have shown us through Christ what love looks like. A love that lays down its life for others. A sacrificial kind of love that grows out of our love for you and is expressed in the ways that we behave toward others. Lord, as we ask that question throughout this week, it's really our prayer to you. Lord, what do you require of us? What does it look like for us this week in the relationships that we're in to express your love? We pray that you would be guiding our thoughts, guiding our actions, that we might be salt and light to this broken world. And we'll be sure to give you the thanks and the praise, always and in all ways. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, folks, have a great week. Yes, have a great week.